1: Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dominic Fifield of The Guardian and making a welcome debut, Daniel's story of Football 365. Nobody's perfect, present company accepted, of course. Manchester City are not invincible, they're not the best ever but they will be champions. What do Liverpool have to do to become their long-term challengers? What do you think, Don? Well, on the pitch, they need to buy a new
2: goalkeeper, clearly. Um, neither Carius or, or Mignolet is up to the required standard to, to win a Premier League title. Um, I would suggest that possibly Central, another central uh, defender would, would, would do them good as well. I mean, obviously Van Dijk was, was absent yesterday, will make a big impact. Um, and that showed a lot of ambition, getting him for £75 million earlier in the window. Uh, Nabi Keiter, he needs to settle next season. I don't think he's going to come in January, by the sound of things. The noises from Red Bull Leipzig are they're not going to let him go early. Um, but he will make an impact next year. But for anybody to challenge Manchester City in the next couple of seasons, I do think that City need to tail off as well because the
1: rest are playing a massive, massive game of catch-up. Mm. That catch-up, where Liverpool are in the Premier League, probably the best pressing side, would you say, Daniel? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Could that translate into the Champions League? Could this team win the Champions League?
3: I certainly don't think they're a team that anyone else in the Champions League wants to face. They have these extraordinary periods, even within matches, where they blow incredibly hot and cold. and They can either shoot themselves in the foot and concede two or three, but on the flip side, they can have these, say, these periods in matches where they will not just score two or three goals, but create seven, eight, nine chances in 20 minutes. Um, Their shooting this season hasn't been perfect, um, but it doesn't need to be because the, the, the sheer number of chances they're creating. You know, they scored they scored uh, twice in two and a half minutes yesterday and hit the post in the meantime. Mm. Um, they are phenomenal. And... And I don't think there's any defence in Europe that will be able to cope with that front three or even front four with Oxley Chamberlain pushes up, if they're in their best form. Mm. Didn't miss Coutinho at all, did they?
2: No, and I think that was that was important as well. Um, we're talking short term at the moment, just trying to, to work out whether Liverpool, how well Liverpool are going to go without Coutinho. But just to start off in this manner with with such an eye catching victory and performance, attacking performance was psychologically important uh, for Jurgen Klopp and and his players I think and also the supporters as well to realize there was life after Coutinho. Coutinho was a great player but he wasn't the best player at Liverpool I don't think. Um there there's, there's more lavish attacking talent in that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and arguably you know the fact that Oxley Chamberlain scored that first goal and produced a performance like he did again that's that that bodes well for the future and that suggests you know that they can flourish you know, without
1: the 142 million pound Brazilian. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain made the point of saying that Klopp had told him, have a go son. Mm. Um, That is a team which reflects the emotional intensity of, of Klopp. Give me your read on where he is in his overall grand scheme. He's a manager who has a distinct pattern
3: uh, like we say with Mourinho, he's very—you sh- know—he's a, a three-year cycle. Mm-hmm. With Klopp, it's always been a seven-year cycle. He said at Mainz for seven years. He said at Dortmund for seven years, and he's already spoke about trying to build a, a dynasty at Liverpool and staying for as long. Um, I think that's important with this Coutinho sale because he said in midweek, you know, if anyone's going to panic, it should be me, and I'm not panicking. So this is what I've always done at Dortmund. We sold—you know—we sold Mario Götze. We sold. You know, Robert Lewandowski. we sold Sahin to Real Madrid. we sold Shinji Kagawa to Manchester United. They always sold their better players, and yet Klopp said, "Trust me to buy low, improve those players, sell high, and try and bridge the gap to Bayern Munich." The, the difference between Dortmund and Bayern Munich, and Liverpool and Manchester City, is is not you know, it's not dissimilar. Uh, Bayern were the big spenders. Manchester City were the big spenders. Bayern Munich was scoring far more than anyone else. He's doing exactly the same. Whether he can bridge that gap, I'm not sure but I certainly think Liverpool have got the right manager for them if that's, if that's their aim. Mm. Um, he has come under some pressure in England because that's kind of how we work. Two defeats in a row becomes a mini-crisis. Um, but for a manager who is incredibly uh, passionate and um, sort of effervescent on the touchline, he's actually incredibly calm behind the scenes in terms of the bigger picture.
1: Yeah, the fans love the public image, don't they? You know, they love him going onto American TV and dropping the F-bomb and yeah. things like that i think if you see him off off pitch off camera you get a better idea of who he is yeah. don't you
3: yeah and i also don't i also get the impression that this is not um a character he's playing. It doesn't seem like a mask in order to... He's not thinking, I'm going to behave like this because I know Liverpool fans will love me. They see him as one of them, (laughs) basically. Mm. And that doesn't feel like an act. That feels quite natural. And when it's natural and when that kind of man management and that kind of care with individual players comes naturally to him, it rubs off on those players. You know, you you said Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Exactly that. A quiet word from Klopp and suddenly he's motivated to go, yeah, actually, I'm going to take my chance. And that's hugely powerful. And I think that's where these these runs of form and runs of victories come from because that's what Liverpool had with Brendan Rodgers as well. They had a manager who in the highs was extremely high and um, they all believed in this project and then it came crashing down. Klopp's Klopp's task is to avoid the the crashing down scenario that Brendan Mm. suffered.
1: A lot of managers and teams now are being judged and defined by how they deal with Manchester City's superiority. Mm In that context, what about Jose Mourinho? Will he be defined at Manchester United by the tactical pragmatism or cowardice, whatever you've got to think, that he showed against City? I guess you can
2: look at it two ways. I mean, There's a lot of criticism that United didn't take the game to them that afternoon in that derby. Um, Mourinho would argue that he had key players missing through injury suspension um, and that, that played a part in his tactics. You could also say that Liverpool had just scored four against Manchester City and beaten them and Mourinho got a point at Anfield uh, playing a sort of stingy, um, contained way and that was effective and therefore got got a reward from that trip. Um, I I fear that, that Mourinho and Manchester United will be judged purely on the context of or what Guardiola is doing at City. That's, that, that is the problem. One of the reasons he got that job, he convinced the United hierarchy he should take that job, is because he could stop Pep Guardiola. And it doesn't look like he is going to, certainly not this season. And and long-term, you know, is he, is he likely to? He, they have his little mini triumphs, and he might pluck Alexis Sanchez from under City's noses. But, it looks as if there's more pattern and more plan and more of a project at City, which is likely to, to bear dividends than at United at present.
3: Mm.
1: Are we now seeing the
3: true Guardiola? Yes, I think so. Um, we're seeing as close to that 2012-13 Barcelona side that passed teams to death. Um, we're seeing the improvement in individual players, both inherited and signed, um, Players are peaking in their career more under him than they have under other under managers, um, which indicates that he's kind of got this um, sort of omnipotent philosophy at City, where if he wants a player, City should go out and get him because they can be confident that he will improve that player and also he will make them fit perfectly into the team. Leroy Sané, Raheem Sterling are two obvious examples of that, um, who are players who were excellent before but have just not just improved but kind of. It completely raised their ceiling under Guardiola. They've become completely different players. You know. Sané's become a, a wide forward rather than a winger. Raheem Sterling's become a poacher.
1: Sané made that point. He did a really good interview in Germany over the weekend where he talked about, you know, essentially I was a dribbler. Now it's all about spatial awareness, about defensive duties. He's made him a much more complete player. And then you've got a young player learning very, very quickly is that the essence of what Guardiola does?
3: Yeah, it, it absolutely is. It sounds quite easy to say, well, he's made me track back. And you think, well, obviously you should track back. That's obviously going to make you a more complete player. But part of it is about um, recruitment. It's about identifying players you believe can, will have the attitude and the personality to embrace extra work if it takes that, takes that, you know the cliche of staying late at training, that sort of thing. But it's also about belief. When you've got a team playing far greater than the sum of its parts and far beyond anything anyone saw why as a player wouldn't you buy into that why wouldn't you this is all you've ever dreamed of effectively um that to me seems a clear difference between Mourinho and Guardiola in that Manchester United's players seem to be when they play well play excellently and win excellently and that's fine but it doesn't feel like there's that um kind of bubbling belief that real excitement to play under him at the moment. And Maybe that's just because of different personalities. Maybe that's because he's, a, you know, he's, he's managing better at the moment. Maybe that's because the recruitment's better. But, yeah, Sani is a perfect example of that because you're
1: right, he's become a complete wide forward. Mm. It's going to sound a daft question. won't be the first. <laughs> um, won't be the first daft answer, then. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you look at uh, the impact that a coach has, does a player have to like playing for him? It well, is a good question, actually. Um,
2: I'd, I, well, I'd like to say no. I'd, I'd like to say that a player would would want to play for a club or a team or for his his own success, and he could, if he can, if he can recognize the benefits of, of what a coach is making him do, even if it's not enjoyable all the time, but it's benefiting his career. Then, then you know, he will he will he will play for that for that particular coach. But I do wonder, especially these days where player power is 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 so important, um, whether. Players always see the bigger picture. I think the ones that go to City do. Mm. I think, but then I think they, they also see that. But they know they're not yeah, going they, there for for ten bob a week. Are no, they? they're going not. there for big money, and they're going there because well, they know that the, the trophies will come as well. Uh, um, I
3: think it, there's probably might be a difference maybe between like and respect. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think it's, it would be impossible to join City and not respect what Guardiola is trying yeah. to achieve. And you'd be if if he wants you, it's almost well, if he wants me, I must be good enough. It almost gives you added belief you didn't even know you had. Yeah. Mm. I don't, I'm not sure you have to like him and be mates to them personally, no. although he, by all accounts, he seems a fairly you know, affable character. Mm. Um, We've had people who haven't
2: always got on with him well in the past. I mean, Sanchez being the, the obvious example, somebody who didn't maybe flourish as much as and wasn't used as much at Barcelona under Pep as he would have liked to have been, and yet, we're told that initially, when, when he was going to leave Arsenal, he wanted to go and work with Pep again. The mm. um, yeah, Ayartore as well uh, at City, and he stuck
1: about, hasn't he? Mm. Um, albeit, albeit the money, obviously, is a factor. <laughs> with money and being, that being a factor, Alexis Sanchez, 30 million to Manchester United is the apparently the going rate, 5 million signing on fee, another 5 million for the agent, poor old agent. £250,000 a week basic, you're looking at a package of around about £400,000 a week. What attracted you to money bags Manchester United, Alexis Sanchez? It's
3: it's a strange one in that by all accounts, um, he wanted to play under Pep Guardiola um, and Manchester City were not prepared to pay what Manchester United were prepared to pay uh, to the club as well as to him. Um, and Guardiola effectively has said, well, if you really want to play under me, you'll wait till the summer. You'll get a bigger signing on fee. You'll stay at Arsenal for a bit longer, but it will prove that you want us. And the fact that the fact that Sanchez has said, well, actually, I really want to leave Arsenal now so much that I'm prepared to join Manchester United has effectively made Guardiola go, well, you clearly didn't. You weren't clearly 100 percent on us or you'd be joining us. Mm. I think the re- the kind of speedy return of, of Gabriel Jesus has has made things easier for Manchester City and maybe their collapse yesterday has as well because they might think we'd rather buy a defender than a forward. Um, but as far as Sanchez, I don't think this is just a kind of as, as black and white as money versus principles. You know, Manchester United haven't won anything or might not win anything this season, but I mean, it's still Manchester United. This is still yeah. the biggest club in England, arguably. This, this, is, is, the most... this is
1: still the full court. This is still the Holy Trinity yeah. statue. Alex Ferguson et out.
3: There's also, al. there's also a, a, a kind of Robin Van Persie link here whereby he was bought won them the title and it didn't go that well afterwards but he was known as the guy that won Manchester United the title and if, if, if their fortunes change next season with Alexis Sanchez there, and he is kind of seen as the defining factor that's pretty good for Ooh. the ego and CV as well.
2: You um, would have more of a say in the team at United. Yes,
3: certainly. I think so. Yeah.
1: Mm. More of an impact. Yeah. Is there any danger of burnout with him? Burnout in what sense? Well, you, you, you look at him. It, well, No, but in terms of maybe has he got 18 months left? Has he got a couple of seasons left?
2: Well, well, 29, um, and I think that, that has been a factor in, say, for example, why Chelsea haven't come in for him this window. I mean, because they liked him in the summer, but actually he is, doesn't fit the sort of model of, of player, the like, age group that they would go for. Um, burnout, I, we, we, I guess you don't know. I mean, I think I think if you're going to offer him a three-year contract, you'd think you, you'd get, these days, that's two very good years, and then you probably try to move a player on anyway. So I'm not sure burnout as such, he he is on his day still a brilliant player and he, he's the best player at Arsenal Arsenal will be weakened by his absence, although that said, I don't think he's really pulled up that many trees from this season, and that's possibly questioning his attitude more than anything else um, but I think he'll have a, I think he could have a big impact at, at United but I, I'm just slightly wary on it yet. I, I if City really want him And United are paying X amount and City know that if they want to get a player of the same calibre in the summer, they're going to have to play two or three times this anyway. Mm. So why don't they just increase their offer a bit in this window? I don't think it's I don't think it's nailed on certain yet that he's going to Old Trafford, although the odds have have tilted in United's favour markedly.
3: I I, I do think that Mourinho will want to change the do, you know, the man that does everything Mm. air of of Sanchez at United to Arsenal. Arsenal didn't really have much choice. I know Ozil has played on and off, but he, did, he didn't have a lot of choice around the penalty area, certainly until Lacazette arrived. Mm. He had to do it all. I think Mourinho would rather kind of sort of bottle elements of that and kind of try and distill Sanchez into, if you give us 25 minutes of that within a game, it's great. But what we want is a 90-minute player. That So mm. don't try and do everything, which he clearly has been doing. And obviously, he'll also have to do more of the creating than he was certainly doing at Arsenal last season. Last season he obviously played as a effectively as a number nine, he was a goal scorer, and he he's probably going to have that wide left role again that actually has been part of the reason why he's thrown his toys out the pram a little bit this season because he, he didn't like going back on the left. He wanted to stay central.
2: It'll be interesting to see how, if he say he goes to United, how Jose c- c- copes with that. Because at Arsenal, he was the when he was when his attitude was right, when his head was right and he was. He was he was leading the line, etc. He he didn't ever like even being substituted. No. I mean, he was full tilt at everything, hundred um, percent, and trying to sort of, as you say, make, let him focus on on certain aspects of the game rather than trying to be everywhere on the pitch. Mm. That's a
3: task. Yeah, you. and he, I mean, he kind of he's excelled as a big fish in a smaller pond, basically at Arsenal over the last two years. Although supporters probably won't like hearing that, but. Yeah, it's very different. It's, it's far closer to his role at Barcelona yeah, at Manchester United yeah. than, yeah. than it was at Arsenal, which is odd because then you, you're kind of buying a different, yeah. <laughs> a different
1: type of player. Yeah. What does his desperation to leave Arsenal tell us about Arsenal? It tells us that they are... Um, I think they're in serious trouble of, of dropping
3: in. Everton last season with that club in no-man's land with X number of points... Yeah. Above them. We've, We've got blown. a top five now. Yeah, we? we have. I mean, they're five points behind Spurs, but in a, in a top four race that was sold as uber-competitive, that feels like almost twice as many mm. in the way they're playing at the moment. Um, and, you know, the killer blow is that it doesn't feel like even that is going to push any sort of meaningful change, at least until the summer and probably until summer
1: 2019. Mm. It's. I say this with some sadness because I've, I've got huge respect for Wenger, I think he's the best interviewer out there anyway, has it come now to the point where he has to be sacked? I think at any other club he would have been, um, t-
2: because they, the alarm bells will be ringing as Daniel says, that they they are in danger of being cut adrift. From the teams and the clubs that they expect to be competing with, but, but if the share price is okay, if they're still exactly if the shareholders the shareholders are looked after. The only thing about that is that I guess I guess while they're still in the Europa League, they've still got the chance of of qualifying for the Champions League because they don't look as if they're going to do it in the in the in the Premier League by finishing the top four. So we're then into sort of the United scenario from last year: is like, can they can they emerge from this season with the Europa League? win and a return to the Champions League and making that a a success, you know, which in some regards it is, I guess. Um, But I think at any other club, to see a a team very evidently losing its way, and and, and not least for the decision made over Sanchez last summer, which by all accounts was driven by Arsene Wenger, will keep a player that we could sell for £60 million over the final year of his contract, um, because he can get us into the, back into the Champions League. Well, they're not going to get into the Champions League in the, in the Premier League matches, and he's hardly played in the Europa League either. So it's, it's, it's a mess there. And they, they, they may go out and spend. They have to replace Sanchez in this window. They have to replace the outgoing Theo Walcott as well. Mm. But the players that they're potentially bringing in, it's, it's potential in Malcolm from Bordeaux. It's 20-year-old He will be raw when he arrives. Um, That's a classic... Wenger a signing. classic Wenger signing, you know, far more of a classic Wenger signing than Sanchez was originally. Um, but
3: somebody that, that they're going to be asking to have an instant success. He's, he's not going to be that. The thing is, as well, if you look at it from the mindset of a player potentially coming in, what, what the rise in Premier League broadcasting revenues and transfer budgets has done is it no club now is a bad place to play. Because even if you go somewhere even bottom half and have a good season. You might get a massive move to a big club. And and we've now got five rivals for Arsenal for a top four position. So why, why would a player, an established player, want to go to Arsenal when they know that Wenger won't walk away? So as bad as it happens, Wenger's not, probably not going to walk away, at least until you know eight, another 18 months down the line. And when he does, no-one knows what Arsenal are without Arsenal Wenger.
1: So there's a lot of uncertainty there to sign a three- or four-year in, in, in that context... Obermayrang, they're talking about sixty million pounds. Mm. That, to me, has got a whiff of panic about it. Isn't mm. that fair?
3: Yeah, it has. And and the one, the idea is the one saving grace of having a manager in charge for that long, who has been there that long and knows the club inside out and is all powerful. There is that it's, it's the antithesis to panic. It's everything will be structured and everything will be planned. The the paradox of Arsenal is that they they're, they're keeping this manager who is. Um, all about long termism and planning, and yet there doesn't seem to be any behind the scenes. Everything seems to be very ad hoc. Um, they are
2: making changes to that, though, when they're yes. quietly behind the scenes. Of the yeah, there are about there eight or to, ten jobs. Yeah, key jobs being done in the recruitment are and there's like that. Post Venga yeah. rec- recruitments, aren't there? Mm. They're there to to guarantee some kind of continuity. But I agree. I mean, from from nowhere, Abama Yang suddenly becomes an Arsenal target, and. This is a player that's fallen out of favour at Dortmund. His attitude's been questioned. Yeah. He, he might be inspired, but is he a long-term solution?
3: And Arsenal have kind of sold themselves as the different club. You know, the, yeah. the club that's against this, you know, Gary Neville spoke about it with Manchester United, but against the sort of immediacy of, of modern football. But if then you, you you immediately change tact, having suffered the slump, you're kind of the same as everyone else. And not only that, you're, you're behind the eight ball because yeah. everyone else has already done
1: that. Mm. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Theo Walcott, Dom. Um, is he, in a way, the embodiment of a problem at Arsenal that that everyone probably knows about but don't talk about that much? In other words, poor coaching. You stagnate at that football club.
2: Yeah, I mean, is it, but is that a criticism of Wenger? Because I, you know. Venga was a pioneer in terms of the, in, in terms mm. of his coaching initially, and may, maybe past tense though. Yeah, maybe things have have overtaken him, and, and, and the game has, has moved on around him. But uh, Walcott's an enigma. Walcott has been there twelve years, um, 20, 28 now, and he had all the ingredients to become mm. a great. I mean, I was I was lucky enough to be in. Croatia the night he scored that hat trick under Capello um, to beat to beat Croatia. Uh, Bilic's Croatia and you just thought, my, my word, this this kid could just tear it up. He could actually, he could be an England's world beater. But everything since that moment has almost been it's been the old flurry. You'll pick up yeah. where he's had the, like little prolific spells at Arsenal when he's been playing through the middle. But he's a player you don't know what he is. Is he a winger? He, he, we always hear that he wants to play through the middle, but he doesn't. He's not prolific enough to play through the middle now. These days, he just doesn't get any chances, I and mean, he hasn't started a Premier League game all season, has he? So, it's it's a player that he needs a fresh start. He needs to go on. I, Everton is an interesting project to go to, though. If 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 that's if that's where you think you can get a fresh start, I mean, that's not exactly a particularly stable environment behind the scenes either at the moment. So,
1: because the reality is, Daniel, that. The the big Sam honeymoon is long gone, isn't it? Yeah, hugely.
3: Um, there's a really interesting stat, which is that they've had they failed to have a shot on target in three of the last five matches. Um, before Allardyce, they'd failed to have a shot on target in three of the last 222 Premier League <laughs> games, which is just. I mean, it, it's all, they've Top almost stat, become a par- Yeah, they've almost <laughs> become a parody of. Of, of everything that Allardyce is. It could have gone two ways. He had one last chance. is arguably his biggest ever club job. Mm. He had he had a chance to to kind of reinvent himself and sell himself as, yes, I could be Real Madrid manager or Inter Milan manager, as he said back in the day. Uh, he had a chance to show everyone that. Or he could have gone and been ultra San Allardyce and he's gone ultra San Allardyce. And there are a lot of supporters who didn't want him at the start and there are an awful lot more that don't want him there now. Um I feel he, a bit sorry for him, though, because I mean, they, didn't, they didn't have a striker. He, he knew what he was coming into. Mm-hmm. They've
2: now bought one who's going to need time to adjust, as he's already made clear um, mm-hmm. in Cenk But, I mean, I don't think it's a massive surprise that, that they've, they've struggled going forward. That was, that was always a problem. That was, that was the previous regime's big mistake last, yeah. last summer and the hierarchy's big mistake last summer. But I mean, it depends what you, he was being brought in to do because he, he he took them away from the relegation zone rapidly which yeah. is what you'd expect Sam Allen's teams to do but but then kicking on to the next stage is is a big ask because what is a, immediately above Everton at the moment I mean it's it's, it's a big leap to yeah. get there's nowhere near the top five
3: let alone the top six
2: mm. even so
3: he was kind of brought in as this Firefighter, and then they won one game, and everyone kind of realized, "Oh yeah, we were never going down." Yeah, exactly. we don't need really a firefighter. Refine, yeah,
1: <laughs> a
2: bit but of a babysitter more than that. <laughs> yeah. but that's that is his issue. I mean, it's what well, while this happens, the suspicion remains that, that he will end up leaving at the end of the season, and they'll they'll pursue somebody that maybe they'd always had their eye on in the first place, but couldn't get mid season, um, and that will be devastating for him. Although there'll be a payoff, etc. But I don't, that isn't what Sam Allardyce. Went to Everton to do. I think, I think he, he genuinely saw that as an opportunity to, to show that he's a top half Premier League manager. Mm. Marco
1: Silva, you know, there's, there's, that rejection or the rejection of the approach, you're still getting ripples in the water because of that. I was at Watford on Saturday In the first half they were abject. Mm. And a lot of Watford fans now are saying, you know, is this man a spoofer? Mm. What do you think?
3: I think he came into England um, with a reputation in Europe that was far above his reputation in England, which is kind of natural because we'd seen him briefly abroad, but not seen what he could do here. And it's, you know, it, it's
1: he, did all that, he did all that foreign stuff.
3: Exactly. Well, yeah, there was a, obviously there was an element of that. But also, you know, he actually won league titles and he did brilliantly at Estoril. And, you know, so he did a fine job. And I think he came to England thinking, as as players do, we just don't hear about it. You know, we don't. It's not as big a story when a player does it. I'll move to Hull or I'll move to Watford, and I'll get a big move in a year's time. Players do it all the time, and I think he thought I'd do exactly the same. And then when Everton came in, he thought this is perfect. The plan's going to perfection, and I don't think he banked on Watford having the strength to say no, um, and having done so. There's no suggestion that he's kind of deliberately undermining this, but there is a suggestion that players thought he would leave as well and were quite fancying the same trip. Um, I don't see how this ends in anything other than Watford sort of finishing 13th or 14th in the Premier League and him getting a bigger job in the summer because I think his reputation will still, whatever Watford fans say, I think his reputation and his goodwill will last longer than this Watford season in the minds of um, you know sporting directors and football club owners mm-hmm. in the Premier League.
1: How big a job could he get? Could he get the Chelsea job? Because we are assuming that Antonio Conte is not long for this world. Um, I don't think Chelsea would, would look to appoint a manager that, that
2: had tailed us so badly at Watford and had finished lower mid-table at Watford. I think there was definitely... Um, I think people sat up and took notice when he was blazing a trail towards the top end of the division earlier this season. And a lot of people looked at that and thought, OK, he's confirming that he is the manager that we'd heard about in Europe before um, and who initially sort of gave Hull a chance last year. Um, I I don't know whether Chelsea's hierarchy would, I don't want to say stoop so low, but it's that sort of sense. They they don't want to be seen to be pointing somebody that has effectively failed a bit or gone the same way as Sanchez-Flores or or, or a succession of Watford managers who have found that team's natural level with the tactics that that club uses to recruit is probably lower mid table Premier League. And I think that, as you say, I think that's where the, well for the to mm. and Chelsea will probably look at it and think they need to
1: aim higher. Mm. You're a keen student of Chelsea. Let's put it that ish. way. Ish. <laughs> What's your reading of the Conte situation? Uh, well, I, I look increasingly, this feels as if, um,
2: We're having a sort of repeat of the Carlo Ancelotti situation. Not uh, a a, a sort of divorce on both sides. Ancelotti uh, wasn't agitating for a move when he left back in 2011, uh, but he'd been a dead man walking for six months when he eventually left after the defeat at Everton the final day. Um, There are whispers coming out of Italy now, and I think that's quite telling that that Conte sort of really expects his time. he, He will be leaving in the summer. Um, which is going to be an uneasy situation because you, you, you're basically then asking a, a team that is still competing on four fronts um, and has got this mouth-watering Champions League tie at Barcelona coming up next month. Um, they, those players have got to stay motivated, knowing that the manager might not be there next season. Um, but there's, there's something not right. They're, they're, they're you know, look at it the face value one defeat in 18 doing brilliantly well I mean but three goalless draws in a row for the first time in their history um, an imbalance in the squad a striker who's lost confidence Eden Hazard getting taken off substituted in, in these last four starts the first time on Saturday where there were boos directed at the dugout a decision really made by Conte to take off Hazard and, and Fabregas
1: um, and I just think it's it sort of feels as if it's probably the beginning of the end mm. Will they make the top four? They, to me, look at the moment to be the one who might miss out out of the five. They're certainly the ones in there that you can see
3: if a, if a rut and a slump really starts, they might, from everything Dom said, they, they might struggle to kind of reverse that slump uh, in late season, especially if they go out the Champions League to Barcelona and are sort of, not humbled, but let's say comprehensively eliminated from that competition um, if they don't fail to reach the League Cup final, it's quite easy to see how this could um, fall apart reasonably quickly. Um, it, it certainly feels to me that like Liverpool and, and Tottenham have the ability to put a defeat or put a, a poor performance out of their minds quicker. And they certainly have a higher squad morale than Chelsea do at the moment. Um, and five slash six, probably just about into four, clearly don't go. I think they've still got an <laughs> incredible squad. I think they've got an excellent I think they've got probably the best um left back or wing back, certainly on performance in the league at the moment. I think they've got um probably the best attacking midfielder in the league on his day and Eden Hazard. They've got a superb goalkeeper. They've got very you know very strong defensive yeah midfield options. They've got Kante in midfield. They've still got a great squad there. And as you say it's one defeat in 18, but um there are very, very, very small margins for error in the top six at the moment. So quite quickly, if you do, do get stuck into a rut, you start tumbling down the table. And, you know, let's say Liverpool are currently on the same number of points, Manchester United are. Mm. Tottenham seem to have clicked again.
2: But then Tottenham and Liverpool both have to come to Stanford Bridge yes. still this season, which it's, it's things like that that, that that can count in, in Chelsea's favour. I, I, would, I think a lot of it will hinge upon... What business they can do in the next couple of weeks and and that in itself is quite interesting to see how, how how the hierarchy reacts to that because if they are planning for life without Conte then the signings that they bring in if they bring in more players this, this month may not be signings that he necessarily wants they may be club signings you know mm-hmm. aimed for the future for the next manager to work with um so politically
1: it's going to be quite an intriguing last two three weeks of the window mm-hmm. Looks like Spurs' season's going to be decided in that window between 31st of Jan and Feb 10. They've got Manchester United, Liverpool, and Arsenal. And then they go on to the Juve match in the Champions League. Yeah. How well placed are Spurs to attack those fixtures? I think they've certainly got the personnel
3: to do it and they've got the, the previous performance to do it. They've, they've struggled away from home against big six teams. Um, there's no doubt about that. But last season they produced two of the performances of the season in beating Chelsea and Manchester City. We know they can do that. We know they have the world's best centre-forward. We know they have a a trio now, not just two, attacking midfielders capable of of servicing Kane. Um, And we talk about squad morale at Chelsea. It doesn't feel like Spurs' squad morale ever takes a hit. It feels like the supporters get worried about it and they rightly, I think, get worried about squad depth. But it feels like those players, because they're young and because... They're again playing, they're all pretty much all playing at the peak of their careers um, at Tottenham. They seem to just go along merrily and put defeats behind them. And yeah, I think they're really well placed. Um, There is clearly an issue of fatigue, which came last season, and that will be tested more than it was last season. Um, It's easy for us to predict us sitting in April and thinking, you know, here we go with Spurs again. But right now, there's no reason for anything but absolute belief, I don't think.
1: Mm. What about Harry Kane? you know, 98 Premier League goals, there's a lot of fuss about that being the record. You know, I tend to be a bit old school and say, well, actually, football wasn't invented in 1992. The reality is, as Daniel said, he's probably on form anyway, the world's best striker at the moment. Real Madrid are in all sorts of strife. I think it's 11 points out of 27. Are we going to see a bit of a muscle flexing from Madrid and come in with a big offer in the, in the window?
2: Um, well, they, they they might, they might t- test Spurs' resolve, but I think we have to take um, Daniel Levy's rare words. On, at face value, um, they want to be going to their new newly redeveloped stadium next season with their best players. Um, and which, from what I took out of that was that if, if somebody maybe brought in, uh, money in for Danny Rose in the summer, then that would probably suffice in terms of funding. Um, you know, they always have to balance the books like they did with carl walker last last season last summer um i would be amazed if spurs countenanced kane's sale because he's he's talismanic he's he is um, somebody that they're building around the, the local lab made good um as we all hear every single match <laughs> um but i mean it, it would send out completely the wrong message to accept a, a bid for him and I, to be honest i I would have thought that if if Real were going into the market and they wanted to make a big splash they probably they probably target a hazard type character I'm not saying that Hazard would leave this summer but um I think that would be more their tactic from the outside looking in um Kane himself has spoken about as long as they're competing and 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 you know the trophies follow at some point and I'm sh- I'm sure they will under Pochettino um in fact there's 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 a the key actually for
3: Spurs keeping Pochettino keep him they'll keep their Canes and their Deli Alli there's a weird, there's a weird, we're clearly all talking about players possibly leaving Spurs because of this you know maybe it's the wage cap they kind of impose on themselves or the fact they haven't won a trophy but we're actually in a situation where Hazard could well be targeted by Real Madrid Arsenal are losing one probably two of their best players um Liverpool, Liverpool have just right. lost Philippe Coutinho <laughs> Spurs are actually the ones in there going well we haven't lost anyone yet so yeah. you know, I know they sold Carl Walker but that was very much what they considered to be their terms
1: Yeah. and as you say you know, the manager should be the, the heartbeat of a football club someone who's shown quite a bit of patience Ryan Giggs is going to be announced as the Wales manager this afternoon he was in danger of being a sort of an upper class Alan Kirbishley <laughs> by going through all these jobs or, or, or putting himself forward for these jobs is that the right move for him?
2: It's the right move for him in that he had these very exacting standards that he was demanding before he considered jobs, which to me always felt a bit presumptuous really, because albeit he was a brilliant player, one of the best ever, um, and he had only ever worked in that environment at Old Trafford where he was in the elite and that's what he was used to. I still think that you're Going into a different job here, you can have all those experiences, but you have to learn the ropes somewhere. Maybe that's a bit old school um, to think that way. But look, it's worked for Gary Speed, it worked for Mark Hughes with Wales. Uh, and I know Chris Coleman obviously had experience with managing Fulham beforehand, but and, and other clubs, indeed, that, but it,
1: it's it worked for him, mm. it can work for Ryan Giggs as well. Yeah. I can remember Mark Hughes telling me, you know, he, he said, Look. To be honest, I didn't have a clue when I turned up as Wales manager, first job. The one thing he learned very quickly, your playing career gives you about 10 minutes grace when you stand up in front of a dressing room. Ryan Giggs' legend won't protect him, will it?
3: No, and actually his it's worth pointing out that his legend is very much Manchester United legend rather than yeah. Wales right. legend. Mm-hmm. Um, will he
2: turn up for friendlies? When exactly, <laughs> that's, that's
3: right. Um, and by all accounts, um, it's been pretty heavily leaked that, that Craig Bellamy interviewed fantastically for that job. And the same was not necessarily said about Ryan Giggs. And there is a feeling amongst, um, the kind of Wales hardcore support, the the traveling away support that they would really prefer Craig Bellamy for this job. So it's not that he's fighting a losing battle, but, but, but Ryan's got a lot of making up to do and catching up to do even before he starts. Um, Maybe
2: he gets Bellamy involved in his coaching I stuff. think I mean, if he you know, doesn't, he would be, be silly too. Yeah, I
1: know people who've worked with him He's uh, during the 18s with yeah. Cardiff. Everyone says what a yeah. terrific coach he is. Yeah. We have some listeners and viewers' questions. Um, a couple of surprise, surprise to do with Arsenal. Uh, Gavin Bailey asks, Should Arsene step down? Arsenal are regressing year on year. Uh,
2: should he... Uh, well, he shouldn't have signed the contract in the summer.
1: Um... Will he? No. Short and sharp. Parik Barat, how many years of rebuilding required after Wenger's time ends?
3: I think that's the unanswerable question, isn't it? <laughs> In that football has changed so much from when he came into that job from, from Arsenal pre and post Wenger that no one has any idea. I actually suspect that with a period of quite dramatic investment, they will suddenly look a very attractive club to play for again. Um, if they get their next, um, you know, the, we, we've said they're already making noises behind the scenes about getting that structure in place. If they get the right coach to match that structure, and that would seem to be a, um, you know, a continental coach, mm. then I think I actually think they become a very, very attractive place to come and play for. And and it will be interesting to see the um, improvement in some individuals who remain there post Wenger, because Hector Bellerin is an obvious example. There is a tendency now to suspect that Wenger. Um, young players under Wenger are actually regressing rather than progressing and Bellerin's an obvious example. If he kicks on, that impact can quite quickly persuade other players to join.
1: Mm. An individual or a collective would go by the name of Fabregas out. (laughs) Uh, Mourinho got Ed Woodward to sign Sanchez for about £400,000 a week. We're not sure, as you said earlier on, that's entirely certain but he only won the Europa League. Conte hasn't had a single one of his targets given to him after winning the Premier League. Mm. The question is, how badly can a manager be treated at Chelsea? Well, I guess
2: this is how badly, Um, (laughs) but but I think when you take that Chelsea job, you know what you're taking on. You you know you're having to buy into what the hierarchy wants to do. You probably don't look beyond the the contract you sign initially. And you think if I last two of those years, then I get the payoff for the third year. That's that is just the reality of what Chelsea has been under Roman Abramovich. Um he didn't get Van Dyke. He he's been making noises about Vidal, he's not gonna get him. Um he wanted Sanchez in the summer, he's not gonna get him. Um he he, he wanted to buy players who are ready made and will have an immediate impact in Chelsea's team and I can see why he would given he knows he's got a two or three year lifespan at that club but the club doesn't think like that. The club wants to buy players of a certain age who who have a future, who can be moulded, who have a sell on value even at a club like Chelsea and I think it's naive of a manager to expect the club to change overnight to accommodate him regardless of the fact
1: of whether you've won a Premier League or not. Mm. David Cracknell on on the Chelsea theme: Could Ross Barkley kick on at Chelsea? He could. I think he's a no-brainer
3: signing. Um, any Englishman or English England international now for 15 million, I think, is is a no-brainer. Um, I don't necessarily think it's the ideal home for him because I'm not quite sure where he fits in. And as Dom says, I think there'll probably be a new manager there next season anyway. Um, but look, Barkley's had near enough, almost a year out the game on and off with injuries and various faff and clearly wasn't happy at Everton. So for him to manage to get a move up the Premier League after that must be seen as a win for him and, in brackets, his agent as well. Um,
2: there are issues there in terms of, I mean, he might, presumably he's come in as a long-term replacement for Cesc Fabregas. Yeah. But where does that leave Loftus-Cheek? I, mean, I, I do what I do look at that and think, Loftus, Ruben Loftus-Cheek has been the sort of figurehead of Chelsea's academy for a while. Um, a player that they can they can build around for the future. He, he can be the sort of this, this is this is what we can achieve together. And
1: I, I just don't see where he fits in next season at Chelsea. Mm. We need to end on a, on a sad note. Uh, the death of uh, Cyril Regis uh, has been announced this morning. Um, one of the by common consent, one of the the great first generation of black players, great example you know, whenever I dealt with him, really helpful man, kind, kind man. Will the FA honour his legacy? In terms of... In terms terms of of being robust in their anti-racism policies? Look,
2: I think they're making...
1: I think the last week has actually shown
2: that they they are trying to make progress in that regard. The adoption of a kind of Rooney rule um, is significant. Um, they have to build on that, but I mean, the investment they're putting, they've pledged to put into you know, projects that will try and increase inclusivity, will, will encourage black and Asian minority ethnic candidates or people from those backgrounds to, to apply for jobs and feel as if they can make a proper impact in football. Um, that That is encouraging. The, it's such a shame that that the last 2 weeks have been blighted by so many different in, incidents and, and i'm talking about the allegations in in the modern game not not in not the historic ones that mm. the say so the, the guardian reported on on saturday morning which were horrendous by the way horrific but allegations yeah um, but I just think it's such a, a painful way. That's a reminder that, that this isn't an issue that's gone away. It's still here, that, that people are still suffering ridiculous, ridiculous abuse. I mean, look at, look at Tyrone Mings' piece on Saturday in the Eye. I mean, that, if anything, it, you know, portrays how miserable society can be sometimes. It's that. Mm. And it's such a shame. But Cyril Regis, you know, he, 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 he was such a pioneer. Such a pioneer and made such a wonderful impact on the sport in this country that, that cannot be allowed to be forgotten.
3: You agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, he was a, he was a, a trailblazer, and it, it's it's for someone of my age, it's difficult to understand um, just how brave you have to be to um, not just kind of play the sport you love and receive racist abuse for doing that, but actually having received all that racist abuse, then work for other people to have a brighter future is takes an incredible amount of guts.
1: Mm. How do we remember Cyril Regis? With a smile and a twinge of conscience, football has yet to deal with its racism problem. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.